Welcome to Homestead Story. We're Peter and Kristen. Join us as we share a new but old kind of family life. Hello, everyone. This is Peter and Kristen coming to you from our Maryland homestead. We have a whole lot of stuff to talk about today. Yes. First, I want to start off by saying it is November, and November farms are made for November. Like, yeah. Ma- November is magical on a farm. Yeah. There's just something about it with like harvesty Thanksgiving. Yeah, October and November. I know I I go through July and August, and some days it's so hot, and I'm like, I can't wait till it cools down a little bit and just get to have those like really brisk fall days. So we've been living it up in October and November. But I guess in our summer podcast, we say summer is the best part of the farm. Yeah. And spring is the best part. I guess they're all the best, but... Today is the best they're day ever. all so special. They're all so special in their own way. Right. Agreed. So also, November marks... We've been podcasting for a year. We started last November. An entire year. I think 20 podcasts in a year. Wow. Well, the funny thing is, it just is a reminder how things in life don't just happen naturally. They take a lot of work. I'm just amazed at how much we've changed in our podcasting. Like we used to sit down and have to have a outline and have to, you know, start over a bunch and it's hard to learn to work with someone. And yeah, it's been a huge experience, but it was so much work in the beginning. Yeah. The beginning was so much work and then I would edit it. And now we just kind of sit down and we just, it's just so much more natural. Sometimes there've been a few that we didn't even know what we were going to talk about. And then it was just what came out. (laughs) But yeah, I think that had to happen because how would we do something that took that much work when we have four kids, right? A farm, right? It took work in the beginning. And now we just kind of, we don't even have a paper in front of us or anything. We just, we just know it's going to come out more naturally, I think. Yeah. I hope So, so. Yeah. But I do have a funny story that I wanted to tell that happened like a week ago. So I was driving down the road because I was going to run some errands because my kids were with their grandparents. So I had, you know, all this time to just go and do whatever I needed to do, which included thrift store shopping, which is really fun. (laughs) But anyway, I'm driving down the road and I didn't have any music on or anything. And I heard this, it's hard to describe. I heard like a light thud. Like it wasn't like I hit anything. It was just a weird sound. And I was like, huh, what was that? Oh, it sounded kind of like, I I wasn't concerned or anything. I thought it was a toy. Like I thought maybe the kids had... They put tennis ball. Sometimes they'll just be playing and then they'll lay something on the car. Like, I don't know. I thought maybe it was a tennis ball or a stuffed animal or I don't know. So I'm driving down the road and I was like, I should look in my rear view mirror to see what that was. And I look in my rear view mirror and it was our cat. Our cat was in the middle of the road. So I think she, sometimes she lays on the car to sun herself. So I think she was maybe on top of the car sunning herself, but more likely maybe she had crawled up under the car. Yeah, she probably got underneath somewhere. I've heard cats do that. And then she fell out in the middle of the road. So I was like, oh my gosh, the cat. So I turn around really quickly and I drive back and I had gotten pretty you know, far down the road because I was driving you know, pretty quickly. And so I turn around, come back and she had run into this area of brush, just total and complete brush, not a normal forest, just a brush forest. So yeah. I, I parked the car, I put on the hazards, I get out. And I'm like looking everywhere for the cat. I couldn't see her anywhere. So I called Pete and <laughs> Pete was, you know, at work or whatever. And I called Pete and I'm like, the cat. And I told the whole story. I, I was like, I'm driving down the road and the cat fell out and she ran in the woods and I can't find her. And if I was close to the house, I wouldn't have been too, too concerned because I would have known she could find her way back. But I was pretty far away. I'd, I was far enough away that I don't, didn't think she could make her way back. So I was like, I can't find her. She ran into the woods. 
And then Pete goes, you have to call the police. (laughs) And he sounded so like freaked out. And I was just like, um, what, what are the police going to do? I was, I'm like, I know you love this cat, but what are the, what do you think the police are going to do? Yeah. I I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Kristen talks really fast. (laughs) And so it was really hard to understand what she was saying. She was going a mile a minute. I just heard like body fell on the road. I never said body. I never said body. (laughs) Ran into the woods. I said cat. I was picturing her like driving down the road and seeing somebody like fall on the ground and then run into the woods. So you thought I hit someone or maybe hit someone. (laughs) I couldn't figure it out. I was relieved to find out it was just a cat, not a person. Yeah, I was like, I hit the cat. The cat. I was like, the cat fell out of the car. How did you get body? He was like, I thought you hit somebody. I'm like, how did you get that? How could you possibly have gotten that? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, I'm like looking around. I'm praying to find this cat, like searching everywhere. And um, and so I, I look in the brush and finally I spot her. So I'm like, oh, great, there's Stormy. But she, it was not like little sticker bushes, it was giant sticker bushes, like really thick, old brush with sticker bushes everywhere. And I was wearing a sleeveless shirt. And so I see her and I'm like, there's no way I can get to her. I can't get to her. So I call Pete again. I'm like, Pete, I see her. She's in the brush, but I I can't get to her. And Pete was like, I really think you can figure this out. (laughs) So I said, I'm going to be able to know what to do from my cubicle. Well, you know, you weren't, you were at the rental house. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, anyway, so yeah, he wasn't there. He wasn't available to help me. So I start like army crawling through these sticker bushes and it was so bad. I mean, I was getting scraped up all over my arms and my legs and I'm army crawling through the dirt and I was in between two like houses too. So I'm sure somebody was watching me being like, what is that crazy person doing? (laughs) They could have called the police on me. So anyway, I'm crawling through, I get close to her and imagine brush everywhere. I couldn't stand up or anything. And I finally go to grab her and then she just goes deeper into the brush. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm getting scraped up everywhere. So I call Pete, I start calling her and cats are not like dogs. They don't come when they're called. So she just goes deeper in, deeper into the brush. So then I call Pete and I'm like, Peter, she likes you better. I'm going to put you on speakerphone and you're going to call her. And and then I'm sure she'll come because she'll think it's you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, there's not a chance that'll work, but I'm not going to say no to you right now. No, so. you, well, you did say, you were like, you're like, I'm not, no, that's not going to work. Right. It's not going to work. I'm like, just try it. Just do it. I'm in the <laughs> brush. Just call the cat. So then I put him on speakerphone and he's like, Stormy, Stormy. Yeah, like, hope no one's <laughs> listening to me right now. <laughs> and again, she just goes deeper in. Finally, I just, just go real fast. I grab, and I grab her and she's all wiggly. And then I remember something that someone taught me that if you hold a cat by the scruff of their neck, they calm down. Which works really well. Yeah. It's like, it kind of just makes them, it reminds them of being a kitten or something and they just kind of go limp. So then she's just purring and purring and I'm crawling back through the sticker bushes and holding her. And so finally I get her to the car and I have a really bad cat allergy, like really, really, really bad. And it's fine with outdoor cats because you're not really, they're not getting their dander everywhere. But since I was scraped up everywhere and I had the cat on me with the scrapes, all the scrapes on my arms started getting huge, these hives everywhere. But anyway, I rescued the cat, brought her home. All is well. Yeah, <laughs> She's fine. She wasn't goodness. even injured at all. Um, the funny thing is now, I don't know. She thinks I'm her hero or something. So anytime, anytime I step outside, she is just like all over me. She's just climbing up me. She's purring. I was trying to like sit on the farm and have like a relaxing moment, and she's just climbing everywhere on me. 
So and purring so much. I, so I think she's like she loves me. But yeah. Um, anyway, that was my story of rescuing a cat. Oh, and also I come out of the woods and I have my I have long hair and I had it up in a ponytail. And since I was going through all the brush, I looked like a crazy person because like my hair's in a ponytail and it's being pulled out in every direction. And I was like, I was pulling sticks out of my hair. I'm like in the store cause I did run errands after that. And I was still pulling sticks out of my hair when I was going to the store. <laughs> I had no time to lose. I had no kids. I needed to get to the store and I'm yeah. pulling sticks out everywhere. I wish and I had a picture of it. It was, I looked like a crazy lady with a cat. Um, yeah. But I always thought I Save hated the cats. Yeah, I always thought I hated cats. I mean, I think a lot of that was because I thought I was a dog. I was a dog person, and also I'm highly allergic, so I never was around cats. And any house I walked into with a cat, I had to leave. But now that I see them in their glory as farm animals, I mean, they're just so cool. Like, yeah, we're a huge fan of cats around here. Yeah, because we'll talk about they um, bring order. So one of the cool things I've seen with uh, with one of our cats is that. She'll walk the fence line all around the property. So we have a perimeter fence and then the fence cuts through at several different points and she walks along the top of the fence and she's figured out that's the best way to kill voles Mm -hmm. because it gives her like a view of them and they probably can't see her. And so she's become like this vole killing machine. Right. We find dead voles everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. There's dead voles all over. She, I mean, she eats whatever she wants and then she brings the rest back and just most of them she throws in the barn yeah. or have, the garage or We have three cats. We have three cats and they never come inside ever cuz I'm highly allergic. And but they are just the most happy social cats. Like I'm sitting there trying to enjoy the farm and they have this cat all over me and I was like go and be an aloof barn cat. Go be aloof. You're supposed to be aloof. <laughs> but our cats aren't aloof. They are they are very social barn cats. I think part of that is because we got them so well we won we watched her we got her the day she was born because we had her mother. Right. So they've been held and handled since they were babies. Yeah. The well, one, I like it. Whenever I'm working on the farm, they'll come out and want to play with me while I'm doing stuff. One of them loves to jump on my back. Whatever I'm, whatever <laughs> it's a I'm doing. It's difficult when we're trying to do farm yeah. tours and we have the dogs all over us and then the right. cats are like all over us. They're very social for Well, I was animals. doing something. I was getting frustrated at it. I was getting very frustrated and, and I was like growling under my breath, you know, and, and then this cat jumps up on my shoulder and is snuggling into my like neck and I'm like, there's no possible way anyone could be frustrated while that's happening. Well, you're so. sweet. I was, I was annoyed when I was trying to <laughs> get my vitamin D on and this cat was jumping on me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the cats are great. We would have, we have three and we, how are the barn mice? We used to have a lot of barn mice. I don't know. I, I'm sure there's still some because, you know. It used to be a lot, though. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't have, see them. I definitely I haven't seen a, a mouse in the barn Yeah. If forever. you have chicken feed and stuff, you will attract some mice. And just having the cats. Well, even the around, hay. Like, the, the mice love to, like, snuggle up in hay and make nests in it. Uh-huh. And, and they'll, like, try and eat the seed heads out of it and stuff. But. I've heard that the smell alone of a cat will deter a mouse from coming in. Yeah, So, maybe. I mean, they hunt the mice and the voles, which is It's amazing. incredible to watch them hunt. I mean, because I think of a mouse as very fast. All right, so this is, we didn't grow up with, with cats and we're from suburbia, so we didn't know things like this, but they're so fast. Yeah. I mean, I think of a mice, a mouse is fast and the cat gets it like 100% of the time. Right. They're so much faster. And when you watch them hunt, it's just so cool. You feel like you're um, watching some miniature tiger yeah, or lioness. Yeah. But we're a huge fan of dogs and cats on the farm because they bring order. Yeah. They totally bring order. They are the predators of the property and, you know, the dogs keep the big stuff away and the cats take care of the small stuff. Yeah, and and being someone who's highly allergic to animals, I've loved that I've been getting to really enjoy these animals um, in their 
in their working state yeah. and not having the allergy problems if they were in the house. Yeah. And I've done enough research to figure out that people try all these different elaborate things to keep deer away and to keep voles away and to take care of all kinds of, you know, critters like raccoons and foxes Mice. and mm-hmm. And there's all these elaborate measures that people go to. And I'm like, it's so easy. Just get dogs and cats. Yeah. <laughs> that's but that's the way. I'm sure it's not like this all over the country, but in our in the Baltimore, D.C., whatever area, um, outdoor animals is really unheard of. And it is. Some people think it's cruel. And I just, I don't know. I mean, that makes me sad when I see these animals just so happy. And, yeah. you know, obviously we don't neglect them. I mean, they're just... No. We're outside all the time, so we're with them well, all the time. Yeah, well, but. dogs and cats have been around a lot longer than houses. Yeah. So they, they don't right. need that, right. I don't think. But anyway, I am a, a crazy cat lady carrying this cat out of the forest. Yep. <laughs> a bus went by, probably school children, like, what is that lady doing? <laughs> um, but anyway, so that was my, my cat rescuing story. So our latest idea that we're trying out on the farm is turkeys. And we're, we're getting into the turkey experience without doing any research. We figured we did chickens, therefore we, we're probably pretty qualified to do turkeys. Well, I'm the, what'd you say, idea person on the farm? You're the visionary. I have lots of crazy ideas. and But they're good ideas. My ideas are the kind of crazy ideas that usually go badly. No, that's not true, but... But the cool thing is Pete is an amazing implementer of yes. my crazy ideas. I'm so, I'm really, really, really lucky. Right. Like, so, what are we doing next, Kristen? I'll just, <laughs> I'm ready to do something. Well, I just had this dream of having, you know, those like old fashioned turkeys that you see in all the Thanksgiving books with the huge feathers. Yeah. I just wanted to have them walking around the farm. I also have a dream of a peacock walking around the farm. Someday. Yeah, I would love that. That it would be so cool. But anyway, I had this dream of like the farm being super Thanksgiving-y and having this turkey walking, these turkeys walking around. Right. So we decided really last minute, when was it? August, probably. It was yeah, August. Way too last minute. Yeah, it was a little too late. So in August, we decided to get a whole new um, I think flock it was of the chicks. last week they were actually selling them. Yeah, we got, a, we got a new flock of chicks. And then we thought, hey, let's just, you know, bring some turkeys in with it. And well, the one sad, it's going to be, it's great. But the one sad thing is they did, they only had straight run. When straight run is they can't tell if they're male or female. So we got all females, which I'm a little disappointed about because females, you know, male birds are prettier. Right, so we got straight run, but it just turned out they were all female. Yeah, so I don't have any of the cool, you know, turkey right. The males things, are the ones feathers. that are really beautiful. Yes, but I don't know. Maybe next year we can find a place that can pick out some males because I really yeah. do want to see some males. Yeah. But anyway, we have, what, four turkeys? Yeah, we have four. Four turkeys. And we did, well, I did do like a little bit, uh, like a day of, day of research. I did like one reading on turkeys. Yeah. I don't think that qualifies. (laughs) Not a day, like a minute, but the one, the one concern that I guess there is a concern about keeping turkeys and chickens together. The turkeys can catch some kind of disease from the chickens. So the chickens don't catch this disease from the turkeys from what I've read. And that was, I only read about it for like five minutes, but there is a risk of turkeys getting sick from the chickens. But I read enough homesteaders, small homesteaders, that were like, this was not a problem for me, this was not a problem, that we were like, hey, let's try it. The turkeys are going to be butchered within yeah. six months. Well, anyway. okay, so all of our birds are wandering around eating grass and bugs and getting sun. Right. They're so healthy that right. a lot of the normal stuff doesn't apply to them. Yeah, we haven't had chicken sickness issues or anything. No, yet. we haven't had any. They're super healthy. Yeah, so we ordered these chicks and we just said, all right, we'll just keep the turkeys with the chicks. Right, yeah. Yeah, and it was because it was the thought was that if the turkeys get sick, well, we're only holding on to them for like four months anyway. Is that how how long how long are you supposed to have a chicken before you butcher it? 
a turkey. A turkey, sorry. Till it's as big as you want it. Oh, okay. But yeah. there becomes a point where it's it gets too old. You want to do it. With yeah, yeah. I mean, no. If you're gonna be you're gonna be butchering it within six months, right. Maximum, right. So we thought maybe we'd have enough time before Thanksgiving, but I don't think they're going to be ready for Thanksgiving. I think they'll be Christmas turkeys. Right. So Christmas and January, February turkeys or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so so we had all the chicks with the turkeys, and then the chickens are getting old enough that we want them to be out on the pasture. But we realized one thing that we did learn about turkeys is that they are really big flyers. Yes. So, yes. well, especially the females because they're a lot lighter than the males. But right. Wow. Yeah, they can fly. Right. So, where did you said you found some turkeys like in the barn or something? Yeah, I mean, they were able to fly out of the. I had them in a run, but they flew out of it like immediately. Okay. I was like, well, well <laughs> this isn't going to work. You know, they're going to they're going to end up in the woods or something. Right. So, anyway, we had a big, huge net, and we ended up. Putting, you know, they have a run and they can get outside, but they're confined other right. than that. So, but we separated, we let the chickens out because the chickens needed to be out on the pasture. So we let the chickens out. I'm sorry, you did all this work. I'm sorry. I did. I, I didn't really do anything. I did all the but work. <laughs> I just had the dream, the vision. Yeah. The we need to modify the implementation turkey. though if you want to see these these birds walking around the property because Right. But anyway, the chickens are out on pasture and the turkeys are were then confined to a smaller run with a roof over top of it. And Well, a net, yeah. A net. <laughs> a roof. A roof net. A net roof. <laughs> so but then they started making these loud noises for their... They became attached to those poor chickens. Right, we had them together flock. with the huh. chicken chicks for a long time. And then we, we took the chickens out to put them in with the main flock. And the turkeys went berserk. Oh, They were like calling... Sad. I know what a turkey call is now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I think a lot of people know, but I didn't. Hopefully our neighbors are okay with turkey calls. Yeah, I had to actually <laughs> put them in the... the turkey coop. I don't know if that's a thing, but I had to put them inside for a couple days till they chilled out. Yeah, we use we have um we bought a horse farm, so we have all these big stalls, which is really cool for us because we can use the stalls for different animal purposes. So one stall is a big chicken coop, the other stall has become the turkey coop. Right. And then there's a milking stall that we use and then a cow yeah, stall. an area for the cows to yes. get into when we need them to have an area. Yeah, so horse farms are just awesome for Yeah, well, it's a, it's a wonderful barn, and yeah. it does help a lot. Right. So, yeah, the turkeys have been fun. So you've butchered some chickens, so you should Yeah, I've done some chickens, different. and it's not, I do not enjoy it at all. That's my least favorite thing about having chickens. I mean, how many people butchering. honestly would enjoy butchering? Them? I know, but I think it's, as you get better at it, it's at least less bad. Okay. Because you, you, you can do learning. it very quickly. But mm-hmm. I'm still learning. I never butchered anything in my life. Mm-hmm. So um, it takes me a lot longer than it should. But I'm going to get my practice <laughs> this fall because we have turkeys and a bunch of chickens that need to get processed. Right. So. Now we have, so we're processing the chickens, but they are egg-laying chickens, so they're not going to taste great. But I'm really excited to have all that bone broth. Oh my gosh. That's so good for you. These so laying hens that have been out on pasture make the most incredible broth. Right. Right. Not great eating birds, but No, really but you can make it, you broth. know, like a nice chicken salad or probably some kind of stew or something, but the broth is incredible. I mean, Right. I'm you, excited. You learn after you make a bunch of broth that it the healthier the chicken, the darker the broth. Right. Is actually how it works out, which makes sense. I mean, they've got a lot more nutrients and 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 things in their bones and when you make the broth, all that comes out of the 
the bones into the broth. I'm so excited about it this. It makes this incredibly dark broth and it just has this really good taste to it. Yeah, we made beef broth with our with we got the bones from our cow. Right. But it wasn't as good as chicken broth. No, chicken broth just tastes better. I wonder why. I don't know why, but it just did. I like the beef broth. I mean, it's still pleasant to drink, and I know it's really good for us, but the chicken broth is better. Okay, so the cat, the turkeys, the planting. So this fall, we've also been doing a lot of planting. One thing that I think a lot of people think is that you can only plant in the spring. And that is the exciting time to plant because spring is coming around. All the leaves are coming on the trees. The All the nurseries get full of plants because that's when everybody wants them. Oh, oh. One great thing about fall planting is people think that spring is a time for planting. So you go to these nurseries and things are so on sale. Yeah. You can get things a fall. lot cheaper in the fall. Mm-hmm. And it's actually better, at least here in Maryland, it's mm-hmm. better for your perennial plants to plant them in the fall. Now, I would, one little asterisk on that is I would, there's things that are kind of on the border of our growing zone here, and I do not plant those going into the winter. So if something's like, kind of like, I wonder if this will live or not because it's going to get cold, that's not something you want to plant going into the fall. The fig. The fig is really tender here, so we don't plant figs in the fall going into winter. Give that an entire growing season to get established. Mm -hmm. But everything else... um, so for us, that means anything from blueberry bushes, all the berry bushes, and any kind of perennial flowering plant or apples and pears and peaches, all that kind of stuff, we can plant going into the fall. So we did that. We had a nice fall planting. Um, we're starting to max out the number of trees that we actually want to plant on our property, but we still planted a dozen trees, I think. Yeah, we have. Yeah, the orchard is starting to look like an orchard. It is. I'm so excited. Before, it kind of looked like... A little pathetic because it was all these baby trees. Yeah. And it's kind of like, what's going on there? Because we're not doing like all apple trees. We're doing this huge array of every different kind of tree you can imagine and bush. So when you look at it, it's kind of like, huh, what is that? What's going on? Right, right. (laughs) And now it's starting starting to look look really good. Like something. So what happens though for trees in the fall is why do the trees' leaves change color? That's the question. And the answer is that all of the sugars and the energy that's in the leaves is going to flow back into the branches and then down into the root system of the tree. And then the leaves turn yellow because they've, they've now deprived themselves of a lot of their nutrients and sugars, and then they fall off the tree. But all of that, all of that energy for the tree went down into the root system and the roots are going to keep growing and they're going to do a lot of growing in the fall. So Mm -hmm. if you can get that plant into the ground, um, it's going to give it a good, good head start on getting its root system established. Mm-hmm. And then when spring comes, it's going to be in a really good place then to put on new growth. Right. The worst time to plant something is, I would say, the summer because yeah. they're just so dried out and yeah, well, you have to water them constantly. To yeah. You can. There's nothing wrong with planting in the summer as, right. as long as you're willing to... Water things. <laughs> keep watering the plant. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But So... We've done that with some stuff just because it it worked out that you know that worked out that way. But plant it in the summer, and then it gets super stressed out because we never bother to water it much. And yeah, we don't like watering things, so that was I did I did lose something that I really liked because I planted it in the summer and forgot to water it a lot. But right, right, yeah. So, so fall, fall planting, and then we did we're trialing out six different varieties of garlic. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of fun planting garlic this past year, but we only did a little bit. And now this is the year where we're going to try and figure out which variety of garlic grows really well here. So, right. 
Best way to do that, try a bunch of different kinds, which we're doing. So we're trying six different varieties and we'll see what grows really well here. You can plant that. Most people say in September, October is fine. November is fine. Just get it in the ground before winter Mm -hmm. and it's going to very slowly start growing. And then it'll be one of the first things you see pop up in the spring is these little leaves coming out of the ground. So for us, that just meant... Um, take the garlic, break it up. You know, there's all those different nodes within the root system. Break off one little piece of garlic and like a clove, a clove, a clove of garlic. Mm -hmm. And then for us, that just means sticking it in the wood chips in the forest garden. So we just, you know, dig out the wood chips, stick the garlic on top of the ground. Like I'm not, I'm not even putting it into the dirt. It's just on top of the dirt and then Mm -hmm. uh, put the wood chips back and let it grow. Yeah. I'm so excited to have all that garlic. So the other thing that we had an abundance of for the first time, so we've been talking about the sweet potato leaves that we've been eating, and I think we kind of, we've been enjoying the sweet potato leaves so much that we forgot that, about, I did, forgot about the sweet potatoes that were going to come out of it. Yeah, we went ahead and harvested them. Oh my gosh. This was a huge surprise. So so like we try and grow a couple things really well each year that are new, and then we experiment with stuff. This was a pure experiment, Yeah, and it was awesome. I mean, we got just, I can't even... Maybe like a hundred sweet potatoes. I mean, just tons and tons of sweet potatoes. Yeah, a lot of sweet potatoes. Tons of sweet potatoes. And it came some from... Some little, some massive. Right. And it came from just what? Did you put two in the ground or something? Yeah. We're going to do a lot of uh, trialing with sweet potatoes next year, too, because if you do your research on sweet potatoes, you find everybody says you got to grow slips and cut them off and put them in water and then what? transplant them and all really? this stuff. And What is a slip? A slip is just a sprout that comes off of a sweet potato. Oh. And I I still don't understand why you would do that for sweet potatoes, but not potatoes. Like potatoes, you just stick in the ground. So why do you have to do the whole slip thing with sweet potatoes? And maybe there's a good answer out there. All I know is that we had a few sweet potatoes sprouting in the in the cabinet, so I put them in the wood chips, and they turned into this massive harvest. Right. So and I that seems a lot easier. Had, why did we have sweet I don't buy sweet potatoes. Why did we even have sweet potatoes? I had bought some because I wanted to, to try them. Oh, you were trying? Okay. Yeah, was, we don't like eat that? a lot of sweet potatoes, but we want to. It's a really, really healthy carb. It's healthier for you, supposedly, than a lot of other carbs. Mm-hmm. Your body, uh, you know, your, your blood sugar doesn't spike off it so easy, and it's got a lot of nutrition in it. So we want to grow a lot of our own sweet potatoes, um, oh, and we've got a ton of them now. I wish they tasted better. <laughs> yeah. I like them. I think yeah. they taste good. But Yeah. They're just not as good as, like, regular potatoes, but right, whatever. Right. That's fine. Yeah. The, yeah, so, I mean, we just have... Where are they right now? Where did you This is them? another thing where wood chip gardening can make such a huge difference when it comes to certain things. I think we'll do a whole episode on wood chip gardening at some point, but mm-hmm. um, go ahead and watch the Back to Eden film if you want to. That's going to explain everything. Just search for Back to Eden film and it'll come up. But wood chip gardening for potatoes is, like, the most wonderful thing because... You can just put the potatoes in the wood chips, even deep down, you know, 12 inches underground. You never have to hill them because they just stay under the, the wood chips the whole time. And then um, it makes the, you know, people are talking about harvesting your sweet potatoes using a broad fork and having to push them up. And, hmm. you know, you're going to injure a bunch of them that way because you you slice the fork through them. And for us, it was like <laughs> my boys, you know, my, my seven, six and four year old boys had a blast harvesting the sweet potatoes and I was there to kind of supervise. I didn't even need to help because 
it's so easy pulling them out of the wood chips. Wow. Yeah. You don't have to dig them out. You just move the wood chips, right? You're not digging yeah, you're, in the, you're using in the your dirt. hands and just pulling them out one at a time. And it's kind of like you can see where the, the sweet potato went ahead and, and grew out vines. And then each of the vines started rooting down into the wood chips. Wow. So you can see where it's rooting. And then you kind of just pull on the vine and the sweet potato comes out with it. Wow. If it so snaps cool. off, it's easy to get under there and get it. Yeah. It's been fun to see what things are really successful and what things aren't. And, so, and like I, I've said this before, I know, but sometimes you think something's going to be really successful and it's not, but then something else. I'm still, we're still getting strawberries. I ate two big red juicy strawberries yesterday Yeah, that were in the, they're still growing. And these are just young things. They're just, you know, that we planted. Right. Well, it's fun to try a lot of different stuff because, you know, we don't talk about the stuff that fails, but a ton of it fails. But then we try all these different things and some of it turns out to be like wildly successful. Yeah, right. Um, This was our experimentation year with the sweet potatoes. Next year... We're going to try and become the experts. Yeah. Well, one other neat thing I'm noticing about fall planting is, so we grew a ton of tomatoes last, I'm not, not this past summer, but well, we did this past summer, but I'm talking about the ones we did the last, last summer. So two summers ago. So we grew a bunch of them and the volunteers. So the ones that actually the tomato fell, the seed went into the ground. So technically that would be a natural fall planting in a sense, because it just happened naturally. The tomato fell to the ground. Yeah. The seed made its way in, you know, through the fall. The best tomatoes we had this year by far were the ones that were fall planted. And I don't know how I would, I don't know how you would do that on your own. That just happened naturally for us. So last year's tomatoes or two years ago, some tomatoes fell to the ground, tomatoes sprouted up. Those were the healthiest, the juiciest. I would walk further to find those ones that were the volunteers and the ones that I planted. So I don't know. I think things do a lot better in the fall, planted in the fall. Well, I think it's okay to let a certain amount of things like tomatoes just fall to the ground and rot. Mm-hmm. You don't want tons and tons of that because it'll encourage you know bad insects and stuff. But let some of them fall and rot, and they they put hundreds of seeds then onto the ground mm-hmm. and, and take care of planting them for themselves. Right, and they were just so much healthier and bigger, and they were just so much better than the ones we did in the spring. Right. So I think we we think of spring as a big gardening time, the good planting time, the big planting time. That's when everyone goes to the garden stores and everything. But if you're still in the mood to garden, fall is really just as great of a time to start gardening. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really pleasant to be out there in October, November too. Yeah. It's a little bit easier than the heat of the summer. So yeah, we've been having a lot of fun just gardening up until the end here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there was one other topic I really wanted to talk about today and that's about, it's an introduction to rotational grazing. So we have cows and this would be the exact same conversation for sheep if you do sheep on your property. But a lot of people wonder, how can I maximize the space on my property when it comes to animals and get the most out of it? And I think most people, when they have their homesteads, you're talking about two acres, three acres, five acres. We have 10, although several acres of it is wooded. So we really have about seven acres of space that we use. And the animals are on about four to four and a half acres of it. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before. We have cows and we've had two cows and they can't possibly keep up with the grass here. So Yeah, we're actually, so when we had our beef cow butchered, we wanted to see how long would one cow last our family. And so we're realizing we might actually want to do a third cow so we can do two beef cows and right. have some for bartering too with 
right. friends who do other animals. And right. Stuff well, like yeah, we have some friends who do pigs and we have some friends who are thinking about doing sheep and we're set up so well for cows here. If we can have extra beef, then that can just allow us to trade with them and mm-hmm. do that kind of thing so that we can, we can do, we can get pork without necessarily doing it ourselves, mm-hmm. at least at this point. Um, but we learned this huge lesson about how to maximize the pasture and it's all related to rotational grazing. So I'm going to do my best to explain it quickly here, but I'm going to start with what we did bad. So the first year we got here and we didn't have a way to mow the grass, the pasture very well. And so it grew really, really long. And then we finally got cows and they started eating on it, but there was a large portion of the pasture that had grown so tall that the cows didn't want to go near it. So when it gets really, really tall, um, if you think about grass, the grass gets very thick and woody and very fibrous. And the cows don't want that. They want it when it's younger and easier to manage and easier for them to eat. So they stayed on certain areas of the pasture and then there were entire areas of the pasture that they totally ignored. And what happened was all that grass grew up very, very tall, fell over and then started suffocating itself. Hmm. So a whole bunch, there were these big patches that were then just dead. On the other hand, though, there were other areas that the, the cows really liked to be on, and they were eating it constantly. So they would eat it, and then a little bit of grass would come up, and they would eat it again. So the stuff that they really preferred, they kept going back to over and over again. And so we had areas that were getting really stressed out. Uh, and some of like the clover and stuff they really loved. So they just kept going back to it. And it was this weird thing happening on the property where they were overgrazing some areas and then undergrazing other areas. And the areas that were undergrazed were dying and the areas that were overgrazed were dying. Mm. <clears throat> and there was like a lot of damage that happened to the pasture in just one year. Hmm. So the pasture was in pretty decent shape when we bought the house. And then after one year, it was looking pretty bad. And there was a bunch of weeds that were starting to grow up in it. And so... Hold on, that's funny because I think only you would <laughs> notice that to your pasture understanding eyes because yeah. it doesn't look, it hasn't looked different to me, honestly. Yeah, if you got out there and were the walking pasture. on it though, you would notice. I right. mean, you would notice these big clumps of like dead... Right. You know, ground. But I guess I wasn't as, that's more your, the thing that you're kind of in charge of. Right. Um, I didn't notice it the same to that degree. Right. So the, the conventional approach, even among people who do this commercially, is that you have the, these massive areas of pasture and you just let your cows out on them. And if there's extra grass, that means you don't have enough cows and, or ruminants, you know, sheep, and you, you get more and you put them out there. And that's actually a really bad approach for growing pasture because when, when a plant, when a grass plant is really healthy, it's going to grow the most. So we don't want to undergraze it and we also don't want to let it get so big that it kills itself. Mm-hmm. So we think, how did this used to work in the world, you know, before we were putting cows in fences? And in this country, we had tall grass prairies and these areas called oak savanna where there's clumps of trees uh, surrounded by massive areas of pasture. And there were 50 million buffalo in this country that would roam around and this huge herd of buffalo would come through and they would trample down the the prairie and they would eat it all up and it would basically start over again. And then because these these buffalo were getting moved, uh, they they were traveling around and there was a lot of 
uh, predator pressure on them from wolves and things like that, they were constantly moving. And after they had eaten a certain area, they didn't come back to it for a while. And that area was able to completely regenerate itself. Mm -hmm. So we want to mimic the same thing. Mm -hmm. And we do it with fencing instead of wolves. And so what we do is we, we want to get the cows eating a certain area of the pasture where they're, they're confined to that area, and then we get them off of it, mm-hmm. and we transfer them to a different area. And then that area has uh, ideally like 30 full days to completely regrow itself there. So we're, that's called rotational grazing. There's a lot of people out there who do it and have really developed the idea a lot, um, we do a modified version of it here because it's just a lot easier that way. You know, any kind of rotational grazing is better than no rotational grazing. So you talk to certain farmers out there, and a lot of times these are people who are making their living off of it, and they're moving their cows every 12 hours, Wow, which is way too much work for me. Right. I mean, we only have two. You're <laughs> yeah. talking like... And we only have cows. two cows. So right. we basically separated our pasture into five different sections. And then the cows are going to be on each section for about a week. Mm -hmm. So that means there's a full four weeks, sometimes more, of time after they're off a section before they come back to it. Mm -hmm. And I have noticed the pasture, like, explode this year. And like Mm -hmm. I say, like, they can't possibly keep up with it. We're producing uh, grass. It's not just grass. It's all these legumes and, I mean, just this vast diversity of species that's out there in the pasture. It's producing so fast they can't keep up with it. Wow. And I've actually had to mow it down at certain times because, again, it was getting it was getting so high and I didn't want it to be killing itself. So we have two large cows. So there are, there are miniature cows that might eat less grass than our huge brown Swiss cows. But we have two, right. two cows and we have them on, you said, about four acres and they cannot keep up with it. Like we need more cows. <laughs> right. So right. because when when the when the plants that are out there, when they get really healthy and something hasn't touched it for 30 days and then it gets eaten down, it explodes. Like the growth explodes back. It grows so fast. It grows much faster than if it was, you know, an unhealthy plant that was trying to grow back. Now explain because this is one thing I have seen you do. We got we have a nice we got a new um, a riding mower, and you do sometimes go and you mow it down, I guess because the cows can't keep up with it. Yeah, ideally we would get to a place where we had the right stocking density is the word they use, and that just means we have enough animals on the property that after a week, in our case, they stomp down a whole bunch of plants, they eat a whole bunch of plants, but for the most part, everything's been grazed. Mm-hmm. And since they can't do that yet because we don't have enough of them, I don't want the plants that they didn't eat to be growing up super, super tall, mm-hmm. so I mow them down manually. Right. But that's encouraging, I think, because most people don't have... I mean, some people obviously have more than 10 acres, but a lot of you know young families starting out with homesteading have a smaller amount of acreage, and they might be looking out at their pasture wondering if they can do a grass-fed, grass-fed sheep or grass-fed cows. And I think if you just stuck them out on your one field, you probably would not be able to do it. But right. if you learn to, to rotationally graze them, then maybe you can do a lot more than you think, or at least, or even one thing, you know? Yeah, you can do a lot more. So when we say how much more, I don't have figures. Um, I have estimates of what I feel like I've seen on my property. Joel Salatin, who's, is, uh, I've read his book and he's one of the people who does this. And he says, in Virginia, where he is, you would get an average of 80 cow days per acre. 
And that just means you could, you know, you could feed 80 cows on that one acre for one day, or you could feed one cow on that acre for 80 days. It's, it's basically how much does one full grown cow eat in a mm-hmm. day? So he says 80 cow days. I hope that makes sense. That makes no sense to me, but okay. I mean, well, I you'll, guess you'll see really the difference at least. But wait, I have a question, Pete. What so if, oh. with his rotational grazing, he's calculated on his property. He gets 400 cow days per acre. Mm-hmm. So he gets more than four times the amount of grazing because of rotational grazing on his property than the average in his area. Okay. I mean, he's a professional at this and he's been doing it for years and years. I, I have no doubt that we at least doubled the amount of, of grass that our pasture produced from this year compared to last year. So, so you're saying in, so Joel Salton was making the point that in his area, most people could do 80 cows on one acre or one cow on 80. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Basically, that one acre would produce uh, eighty days, for eighty one cow. days for one cow worth of pasture, right? But worth of food. But that's what he was saying for the average person. He was saying for him, since he rotationally grazes, yeah, he gets four hundred. He can do four hundred days if you had one cow on one acre for four hundred days. Yeah, he can. So he can feed. That's cool. He can get more than one cow. Wait, really? Per acre. That's really yeah. amazing. So it is amazing. So wait, if you were, because like, you know, most people don't have a lot of pasture. If you had one acre, mm-hmm. you're saying if you properly rotate that one acre and you had all the good factors, you had good growing grass and Right. And it sun. gets better as the years go on because this is building topsoil. So it gets even better. Okay. But sorry, I'm just trying to talk to the person that has one acre okay. out there. You think they could do 400 days on that one acre? It, no, it, it possibly. I mean, that's what he's doing. It okay. all depends on where you are. I mean, Virginia is amazing at growing grass. Okay. He's, he's in the Shenandoah Valley, and it's it's you know ideal conditions for grazing animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it all depends on somebody's pasture and where they're starting from too. Uh, you know, because it, the the pasture is going to get better and better as years go on when you're managing it this way. Right, but there's hope. If you have a small little homestead and you have a dream of having some animals. There is hope that you can do this if you properly Absolutely. rotate it. I'm going to describe our system uh, one more thing about it here, which is that if you think about, say you were to cut a pizza in half and you had half a pizza and then you cut slices out of that. So you would have a point in the middle and then you would have, you know, you, you could follow the slice lines out to the crust of the pizza. So does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we've done with our pasture is that when I talk about moving the cows to a different area every time, then you say, well, how do you move the water with them? And we don't. So we have an area right in the middle, right where that, the pizza comes to a point, And that's where we have our big watering tank and we can fill it up every day. I've then used the electric fence to create the slices on our pasture. Mm-hmm. So each one of those slices gets you know, thicker as you go further out and thinner as you come towards the watering uh, container. And so that's been a way for us then to divide our pasture up into different areas. We use the electric fence, and then we don't want to move water. And there's people who have great solutions for moving water, um, you know, if that's something you have to do based on the shape of your property. But it's made it really, really easy for us to, to move them rotationally without having to, to move all of the infrastructure with them. Yeah. You know, Pete, I just want to say... Since I'm like think, I know I like see this every day, but Peter is an engineer, and I just think it's so cool how you've engineered our pastures to work that way. I mean, that's really, really awesome, and it's working yeah. really well. Thanks. <laughs> but 
But this is really easy to find information on this. Like all of the hard stuff was done by, you can look up Joel Salatin or Greg Judy or uh, who's the other, Alan Savory is the the old timer who's been doing this across the world. And wow. there's some really, really good stuff. It's so neat. But I want to say, when you say divide up the pasture, that can sound intimidating, like you have to build a ton of fences or something. But you just have these little poles in the ground, stakes in the ground, right? Yeah. And then you run this... Like, what do you do? Two wire, two or three wires? Two wires. I did one. One? One electric wire uh, dividing the pasture up, and then along came the calf. The, the boy. He, he could get right under it. Uh, well, so now and then I, I have saw to, him jump over it. Yeah, and he can jump over it if it's too low. So he's, right. been, he's been forcing me to get better at it. But you're talking about these little fiberglass stakes that they sell that are made for uh, electric fencing and then just a wire that runs on that. You're right. So it's not like you're out there building a million fences. I mean, no. you actually don't want to build a bunch of fences because you don't know what you're going to need. You don't want to do Yeah, I'm still learning all of this and I might want to divide it up differently. So mm-hmm. it would not be a smart idea for me to build permanent fence there. Yeah. You want to be really careful before you go and build a permanent fence because yeah. you really don't know until... Feel free to build it along your perimeter. That's always a good idea. But right. as far as dividing up the land, uh, we just use the electric fence. You would probably need two or three strands for sheep. Right. Um, and then they make chargers that are either solar powered if you don't have electric near it. I think if you can plug it in, that's a little bit better idea. Supposedly, that's what they say. But the solar-powered one works great, too. Wow. So. It's just neat because I think a lot of people want animals, but it just seems like it wouldn't work. You just kind of beat all the grass to dirt, and you wouldn't have food for your animal. But Right, and there's people out there, and all they know is that you turn your animals loose on the entire property. And so they think that everybody would do that, and you know your property couldn't handle it. Well, that might not be true because you can probably produce twice as much uh, food off of that pasture if you did it rotationally. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you're effectively doubling the size of your pasture. Wow. That's so neat. You've done such a great job. That's really cool. Oh, thanks. It's fun sitting here and talking to you about this because, you know, you're so busy in your day and I kind of take care of the more in the house stuff. Like I do a lot of the baking. It sounds very sexist or something, but it just kind of works out that way. (laughs) But I'm not as involved in all of that right now. And I'm, I'm, you know, homeschooling the kids and I'm doing all that, but it's just so fun to hear you talk about it. Yeah. It's really, really neat. One last point I'll bring up about it, which is just very interesting from a sustainability point of view is that this doesn't happen so much when you have your lawn and you mow it constantly and it stays, you know, the exact same you know, height the entire time. And, and people do all this stuff to make their lawns healthy. And one of the reasons is they're keeping it so short, the plants are never actually healthy. Uh, but when you have a pasture and you're letting it grow, you know, 30 days in between when it's getting grazed, those plants get really, really healthy. And the way most of these pasture plants work is that the taller they grow, the deeper their roots go. So they're putting these roots deep down into the ground. Those roots are primarily made of carbon, right? Most people know that even if they don't know that, that plants breathe in carbon dioxide and breathe out oxygen. Mm -hmm. So where's the carbon go? It stays in the plant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It makes the plant grow leaves and it makes the plant grow roots. So all that carbon is getting put into the ground and then you have this big healthy plant and a cow comes along or sheep and eats it. And what the plant does, the way it responds to that is it sloughs off some of those roots. So it just, it, it, it gives off those roots, it disconnects them from itself, and all of that carbon stays in the ground. That's where it stays. That carbon, that, that root then decomposes, 
and all of that carbon is left in the ground and you're building topsoil. Mm. So when you're grazing sheep or cows properly, you're building topsoil. So every year it's going to get better. Your topsoil is going to get better. And Where if, did you learn all this, by the way? What, like, how do you know all this about <laughs> carbon and topsoil? Like, I've been studying it. I've been studying when? it. When? Where? I don't even understand. Right. But I can just from the podcast. It's this very funny, <laughs> ironic point because if you're if you're aware of the carbon sequestration, global warming debate that's going on out there, is one of the things people say is that is that cows are contributing to global warming because they're putting all this methane into the air and all this carbon into the air. And the ironic point is that when cows are being managed properly, mm-hmm. they're sequestering carbon. And even if you don't care about that, you actually do because that means they're building topsoil. I feel that like means- I'm sitting here with a totally like stranger like, <laughs> professor. I don't even know how you know. I guess Pete has a really long commute and he hates it, but I guess yeah. you're like learning a lot on your commute. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's incredibly interesting. So you're, you're building, you're building topsoil. You're making a more regenerative property. You're sequestering carbon. I know some people, <laughs> I'm not saying anything about that debate, but you're, you're doing all of those things and, and, uh, and it's going to make your soil better every year. So if you have bad pasture, it's going to get better. Wow. That's so neat. Yeah. Great job. I think that's everything I have to say for, for today. That's really cool. I've learned a lot in this <laughs> conversation. Really awesome. Cool. Well, there's a whole bunch of information, um, but you know, hopefully you can get excited maybe about grazing animals on your property yeah, if that's I something would, you want to do. I would love to see more families uh, be able to do this because it is so rewarding. It's so rewarding to have all this really healthy meat in your freezer to be able to feed your family with. And there's something great about a good protein source. So oh, absolutely. it's wonderful. Absolutely. It's great. Well, I guess, or is that it for today? I think that's it for Any today. other like amazing things that you know that I don't know about that oh, you want to share? Oh, tons and tons of them. <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you to, to people who have been emailing us. Like it's such an encouragement and it's fun for us to hear about people, you and, know, and the things that you're doing in your properties. And don't be discouraged if we take too long to get back to you. Yeah. Sorry. We're both bad at that, but we really <laughs> love reading them and we do get back to people yeah. um, eventually. But we are, our email address is homesteadstory at gmail.com if you want to email us and we if do love any. hearing from people. So. Yeah, especially if there's anything we can do to help you to, we just think this is so great. So anything we can do to help you, you know, we're happy to, not that we're experts, but if we're, apparently we are experts. No, expert. no, we're not. We're <laughs> you just, sound like one. We're learning All every right. day. All, All right. right. Have a great day, everyone. Bye. <laughs>